Hey listeners, and welcome back to A Night in Question. I'm your host, Jeremy, and with me yet again is my co-host, the lovely Kate. Hello! And also joining us again, uh, as a surprise, uh, is my wonderful boyfriend, Ted. Say hi, Ted. Hi, Ted. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a dad joke! (laughs) I know. He really is a dad. I didn't need to know that much about your relationship. (laughs) (laughs) We won't get into my daddy's status. Or my daddy issues. Well, those I knew about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I should stop saying things before I incriminate myself. Kate, how the hell are you? I'm I'm okay. I'm hanging in, you know. Um, I don't have the the built-in companionship that that some of you have. uh, Other than the cat. (laughs) I did have something kind of weird happen. Um. Okay. I don't. I mean, well, okay. So I can't tell if I'm ever reading too much into some of it, you know. Um, my stove. I I came into the kitchen the other day, and the stove top was on. Were you cooking? No. No, no, Ted, I was not cooking. <laughs> Hence my alarm. I oh. had not been cooking. I The last time I cooked had been the day before. Well, do, do you have a gas stove or an electric stove? Uh, it's electric. So those don't, like, accidentally turn on. Did the cat maybe do it? Unless she's grown thumbs, which... <laughs> Betty, you want to comment on that? No, I mean, she could have jumped up and maybe... I don't know nudged it it's one of those ones you have to push down and turn I, I suppose in theory she could have stepped on it but it was it was pushed all the way up so that's not just like it got bumped that's turned all the way on well and that's also what's weird i didn't have it when i was cooking the day before i was making eggs i didn't have it set on high that uh i don't know i what you're saying is it it's probably, probably a ghost. I am not saying it? that. I'm saying that I I can't figure out what happens. Has has your has your super been in? No, nobody's been in. It's just been me. Mm, I think it. I think we might have just bumped it or something. That's yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I'm. I'm. That. That's the most rational explanation. Um. It's just, it, I think, I think it's made me extra nervous because I'm just thinking about like the stove potentially being on for hours and hours and hours and, and the fire hazard that that presents. Um, like that's freaky. No matter what, that's freaky, right? Yeah. The, the, the risk is pretty freaky. I think the, I think the ghost wants a companion, Kate. It's not funny. Like this is, this is, this is scary. Trying to burn your house down. You are a very mean person. <laughs> Cold heart. Cold heart, Jeremy. Well, we knew this. Yeah, Kate, I'm sure it's fine. Just watch yourself when you're done cooking. Check your knobs. <laughs> Be cognizant. I think it's fine. I don't, I'm, I'm sure it's fine. I mean, you know, one time Jeremy put a pitcher of apple juice in the cupboard by accident. <laughs> The one time he cleaned the kitchen. Are you trying yep. to make wine? Yep. Did, definitely did that. I got things going on in my head. 
Do you? I do. Deep thoughts. Do you notice the pause before he answered? It wasn't it wasn't an immediate like, oh no, I totally do. It was wait. Do I? Do I? No, I just tapped out for a second. Uh-huh. That's what he wants you to think. Well, let's get back to our story, okay? Uh, so listeners, you'll remember in our last episode, we introduced you to Paul and Abby Stone. They were a young couple living in Seattle in the 90s. Um, their relationship was a star-crossed love that brought a beautiful little boy, Dylan, into their lives. But their turbulent relationship was fraught with jealousy, resentment, and possibly infidelity. Ooh. Well, a, a move to a new apartment at the Chelsea Gardens was supposed to be the fresh start for their relationship. But when he was supposed to be looking after Dylan, Paul would frequently drop him off with neighbors. Uh, and no one really knew where he was. Loud arguing was often heard in their apartment. Paul would stumble in later and later and later in the evening. Abby was getting more and more despondent and frustrated with their relationship. And all of this would boil over on the night in question. But before we get into all of that, um, one of the things that hasn't been mentioned yet was there was actually an incident the night before the night in question. Oh. Um, and it never made the news. And what's interesting is I actually didn't even think about it until a couple of days after we did that last episode. The day before all of this happened, there was a thing where, where Abby was gone. She was working. Paul was watching Dylan. And he got suddenly called into work. And... He showed up. I answered the door, actually. And he was in a bind, wanted to go to work or needed to go to work. And um, so he asked if my mom would watch Dylan. So we did. And that night, Paul came and picked Dylan up. But apparently, while he was gone, Abby came home to an empty apartment, didn't know where Paul or Dylan were, had a complete panic attack. And none of the neighbors apparently even saw Paul take like bring Dylan over. Apparently, when he brought Dylan home around seven o'clock, they got into this huge fight where he was mad at her for raising a big stink. And she was mad because he didn't tell her what was going on. Apparently, he had left her a note. And that was like what he was screaming over and over and over. Mm. She was screaming. There was no stupid note over and over and over. And then finally, Paul just stormed out and apparently went to band practice. Mm. And it was, but it was this big blowout over this note. And where was Dylan? Where was Paul? And the, you know, the, is it the note in question? Like, where's the note? There's no note. There was a note. It was a big, a big fight. Mm. That's, that's actually interesting given what this is going to lead us to. April 25th of 1995. It's 4 a.m. on April 25th, and Paul stumbles into the apartment after a late-night practice with his band. Abby is furious yet again, and the yelling is loud enough to wake the neighbors. And actually, Jan, <laughs> good old Jan. Oh, Jan. She actually told me about this. She had almost called the police, but by the time she got around to it, things seemed to have calmed down. So about 8 o'clock, Paul storms out. Jan goes to talk to Abby. 
and she's about ready to knock on the door and she hears Abby talking like urgent panic on the other side of the door. Jen couldn't hear another voice. So she just kind of assumed that Abby was on the phone. So she just kind of left that kind of to maybe check in later. Mm. And just to remind our listeners, uh, Jan is the stones nosy neighbor uh, who Ted actually knew to me. She sounds like the neighbor from hell, but apparently <laughs> she was, she was a lovely, helpful town gossip. I mean, every building has to have one of those. I feel like. Although she's not, she's not still around. I've lost track of her. It's been years. I mean, she was old then. I mean, she was older. I mean, she was like late fifties, early sixties. So she'd be like seventies, mid seventies. She wasn't as old as that. For some reason, in my mind, she's like this little eighty-year-old, like you know, decrepit old lady. <laughs> I don't know why. That's what I visualize. No, her girl as. was still spry. All right, Man was still spry. Uh, well, so about 8.30 a.m., Paul supposedly came back uh, with breakfast, but everything was quiet. Um, Abby leaves her class at 10 a.m., and at this point, Paul is alone with Dylan all day. And there's nothing we really, I mean, there's nothing of note during this time. Um, Paul was alone with Dylan, but no one reported anything happening, hearing or seeing anything unusual. Um, I, I will comment, too, like, the walls are thin. So if there was yelling, if there was fighting, if there was a person, y- you know, you know, everybody's business. Yeah. Well, and actually that's what, cause Jan actually had something to say about even that time. Um, because apparently even during that time when Paul was supposedly by himself, she was hearing things being moved around the apartment mm. and she actually had some cookies. She was going to bring over for Dylan. Uh, probably to actually get a better look at the apartment. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Um, <laughs> Neighbor from hell. I mean, she, again, she was she was never malicious, but she she was the she was the apartment newspaper. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Paul wouldn't let her in. She was looking around the apartment. She kind of saw it was a mess. Things like furniture was turned over and stuff. And then Paul just like took the cookies and just shut the door on her. Wow, some classy behavior, Paul. Wow. 3 p.m., Abby returns from her classes, and the yelling begins almost immediately as she walks through the door. And the fighting had amped up, it seemed, even a bit more. And it seemed that Abby was constantly suspicious of Paul having an affair. I mean, to be fair, (laughs) it's not exactly a stretch of the imagination. Yeah, but. It might have been a case of what could be good for the goose is good for the gander. Because did we have a swinger situation going on here? Well, there could have been because uh, I know Jan overheard them arguing. Of course. Um, and let's face it, Jan was probably like listening against the wall, the really thin wall. But Paul was actually shouting about how Zach, your building manager, who is still the building manager, yeah, he is, um, heard another man's voice in the apartment. <gasps> And so we don't know who that person is. Abby denied anybody else being in the apartment. Zach heard another man's voice in the apartment, right? Correct. Zach wasn't the man in the apartment. Okay. No, he just, he just heard another voice. So that's suspicious. 
Well, what if, I mean, what if she's talking to somebody on speakerphone? Like she could have been talking to, to her sister or to a friend. Like remember when people use speakerphones in the nineties? I don't know. <laughs> There's, yeah, but I don't think her sister had like a deep manly voice. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> We've yet to meet Jennifer. Maybe, maybe she does. <laughs> maybe she does. Maybe, maybe she, does. she does. In a world where Jennifer has a man voice, her, her sister is actually the the movie phone guy. That's that's a yes. whole twist. twist. Did not see that coming. <laughs> As the stones turn. <laughs> All right. So after the fight, so that took a second. That took a second for you. That did. That did. That was that was a Jeremy reaction to it. <laughs> okay. So after the fight, Paul takes off for band practice, but it's only four o'clock and the band practice is later. So he's got a lot of time to kill and good old Paul naturally ends up in a bar. The Comet to be precise. Uh, And the bartender at the Comet confirmed Paul was drinking from about 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. there with another woman. Uh, He was actually Mm. cut off from drinking, too. He got kicked out at like 7 p.m., which I gotta say, to get kicked out of the Comet, you have to be drunk. In three hours, I can get a three-hour brunch. Like, I could get tipsy but like i know belligerently drunk it, no i'm saying i'm not i couldn't get belligerently <laughs> drunk in I was, three I was hours if, I you've seen anything. nothing <laughs> oh <laughs> no i i'm just i kind <laughs> of marvel at that like you have to be constantly drinking to get drunk enough that the bartender throws you out at 7 p.m he was straight up hostile and just seemed to be on some kind of drunken mission. Um, couldn't even hardly walk. I mean, he was not in good shape. Oh, that's bad. Now, do we know? Do we know who the other woman was that he well, was all, with? All the bartender could say was that she was uh, medium tallish and had dark hair, uh, a lot of tattoos, and unusual piercings. And um, did she also have a? Bass guitar with her because that sounds like Maureen. I mean, yes, yes, no. I it definitely could be Maureen. Um, and and Paul and his bandmates were regulars at at the Comet Tavern. Um, but that to me is why it's weird that the bartender didn't say specifically it was Maureen because they are regulars. He would have. He knew who Paul was. Oh, you're he, right. He should have known who Maureen was. Um, but he just said, you know, again, a a medium tallish woman, dark hair, lots of tats, and unusual piercings. Which again, Seattle in the '90s, that is like two thirds of the female population. So no one ever came forward, including Maureen. Maureen never said I was the one with Paul. Um, now maybe she didn't want to admit to it. Maybe there was an affair and she didn't want that coming out. She didn't want suspicion on her or she didn't want the attention, but this is a, it's possible, but this is a big like question mark. We do not know the answer to this. So it could be any, it could be anyone. 
It, it could be. I mean, except Jan. I don't think it was Jan. <laughs> oh, I, I definitely think it was Jan. Does Jan have secret tattoos? Secret. <laughs> now I desperately want it to be Jan because that just makes everything so much better in my mind. <laughs> Jan's actually the mastermind behind this entire affair. I wouldn't put a pastor, man. So Paul arrives late to band practice and he's wasted. Um, his bandmates spend a good hour trying to sober Paul up. Um, but then he starts drinking again as soon as they start practicing. From what I hear, they could barely get through a couple of songs before Paul loses it and storms right out of practice. Yeah, and this is about 9 p.m. Good old Paul. Good old Paul. Uh, yeah, his bandmates, though, would clarify. It was about 9 p.m. when this happened. And that's what we know. We don't know where he was for the next hour or so um he kind of vanishes like there's no eyewitness accounts nobody who saw him on the street or saw him in another bar um he kind of goes off the radar for an hour yeah okay so that's really weird um nobody really talked about that i i think i mean i I see everybody assumes that he was just walking maybe walking it off for an hour before heading home um but um what? So I've been just kind of remembering some stuff from back then. What? Um, things that I didn't think were really significant, but there were other things going on in that house. Like people would see weird sort of exchanges going on, especially at night where like Paul would get into a car and then the car would drive off for like five or ten minutes and then drop Paul back off again um or like Paul would get home and then a car would pull up Paul would get into that car and then they'd just sit for a few minutes and then Paul would get back out was Paul was he dealing drugs or was he giving three minutes psychic readings in those cars (laughs) I really want them to be psychic readings or is he an incredibly effective prostitute yeah, he's very efficient. <laughs> straight, straight to the point. Yep, yep. yep. Um, no must, no fuss. Yeah. Get her done. And then there were the parties. Yeah, but like a twenty-something rocker having parties. <gasps> Shock! That's suspicious. But, well, okay, so maybe parties isn't like the the word. The, it's like the closest I can think of. But like there was this weekend when Abby was out of town. She's probably with her sister. The movie, the movie phone guy. The movie phone guy. <laughs> um. Anyway, I didn't see this. Uh, some guys from my high school were hanging around the area, and they were actually trying to score some weed from Paul. Um. <laughs> anyway, one of um, he said that he had seen like this like red light flashing in the window. Wait, f- flashing? Yeah, like there was like there were like lights like like. Like the lights were out, and then all of a sudden it was like like a strobe light of red light flashing in the window. That's scary. And so one of them decided to walk up and like check on it. And so he walked up, and then a couple moments later he came back out and just like took off for like three blocks. And so 
my friends caught up with him. He wouldn't even talk like he wouldn't talk about what he saw or anything. Um, he was just like messed up. And that's really all the information I've been able to get out of out of that event. None of my friends like everybody else only remembers the light and actually and the third guy, which who I didn't really know very well, the one that actually walked up. Um, he hasn't told anybody anything other than he walked up and had to go. So there was a lot going on leading up to the the event and there was a lot hap- I think there was a lot happening in that apartment. I mean, do you think that some of these events have a connection to where Paul was during that missing hour? It could. I mean, he he clearly had more going on than just his band and his job and a little drug dealing. Mm. Maybe he was having like, I don't know, like a sample party or a Tupperware party. <laughs> a sample party. Mary Kay. Yep. <laughs> Here, try the Pineapple Express. I think you'll love it. You can also get this in heroin. <laughs> okay. Oh, back to the story. So we have a missing hour, but at 10.15, the neighbors report hearing Paul come home. And guess what? The fighting starts immediately. But this is different. They're not yelling about dinner or chores or watching Dylan. This is urgent, panicked shouting. After a few minutes, Paul is pounding on the door of a neighbor. He rushes in and hands Dylan to the neighbor, calls the police, and then rushes back out the door to go back to his apartment. But at 10.36, the police arrive at the apartment building, and the screaming has stopped by now. Now, the officers on the scene would describe an eerie stillness in the apartment. As they were walking through the hallway, doors would open a crack as neighbors tried to sneak a peek, Jan, uh, at what they just assumed was sheer carnage. When they got to apartment 307, the door was open. And what they found inside was indeed carnage. The living room's dark. There's a faint light illuminating the hallway that leads to the bedroom. And as they approach, they hear uh, sobs. And a kind of tinkling sound, like someone stepping on broken glass... So they go through the bedroom door. One of the officers immediately vomited. Uh, The other was struck speechless. And you know it's bad when, when a police officer vomits at the scene of a crime. Well, because the room is covered in blood and broken glass. Uh, And I can't imagine, I mean, the smell, like that much blood. Blood has a really distinct smell. Okay, now I'm getting queasy. So... In the middle of the room, a solitary figure on his hands and knees wailing. Paul. His his hands, his knees, they're bloody from the force of his crying. Um, probably too. I mean, if he's if he's in this there's glass everywhere, I'm sure he's cut himself. But what he kept saying over and over was I did this. I did this. But the thing is, 
There was no Abby. No body whatsoever. No sign of her. Nothing. Just a room coated in blood and broken glass. Now, the blood was tested, and eventually it, it, it was found to belong to Abby. So Paul is taken into custody, and Dylan is placed with Child Protective Services until his Aunt Jennifer arrives to look after him. During the interview, Paul is virtually silent. He only reveals the following. Number one, he arrived home from band practice around 10.15 p.m. Abby was agitated. She was holding their son Dylan in what looked like a, a chokehold and pushing him towards a mirror in their apartment. I, I have a question about that. Mm-hmm. Is this like holding him up, look at yourself, kind of pushing him towards the mirror or like throwing the child into the mirror? Because those are two really different things. Neither good, but... but she had him in a chokehold, which leads me to think it was something a little bit more violent than look at yourself. Because I'm just wondering if that's... Could the mirror have broken from, from something there, or did that happen So what later? I was next going to reveal is at around 10.20, Paul ran out of the room to call the police, and when he returns, he says the mirror had shattered. So... Mm. Okay. If she did do something with Dylan with the mirror, it happened after he saw the chokehold. Okay. Okay. And but he he pulled Dylan from. I mean, he took Dylan with him. So it it was it was something that if 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 this version of events is to be believed, right. she would have done after he left with Dylan. Correct. Yep. When Paul was asked how he came to be covered in blood, silence. No answer from Paul. Mm. And according to Paul, he called the police because he feared for Abby's safety. When he was asked who was threatening her, Paul couldn't come up with a straight answer. He said she was in terrible danger. They both were. So in the days and weeks to come, the following would be revealed. The first is that Paul's blood tested positive for uh, alcohol, which is not a surprise. Not a surprise. But also marijuana. Although, again, not a surprise. Um, The blood found on Paul in the bedroom was identified as Abby's blood. And the amount of blood found in the room... It was enough blood that, I mean, no one would survive that, losing that much blood at once. So it, it became very unlikely that Abby was still Now, were there alive. any signs of a struggle on Paul? Well, that's what's, you know, that's what's kind of weird. Um, the only wounds he had, he had some wounds from the glass shards. But he didn't have defensive wounds no i mean you know it's it's not uncommon for someone who's attacked somebody or or killed somebody to have fingernail marks or or bruises or something there there was really nothing and for that amount of blood you would think Um, there would be some struggle if paul did it well that's yes exactly and 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 i mean that's the other weird thing too is that um outside of the mirror 
there wasn't anything else in the room that was really disrupted. Um, and th- there's also, I mean, one of the conspiracy theories, and and we're going to be touching in a later episode on 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 the many entertaining conspiracy theories that there are. But uh, one of them is that Abby was maybe killed earlier in the evening. Uh, the blood though was really fresh, like still wet, kind of fresh. That uh, if hours had gone by since she was killed, it would not still look that fresh. So. Yeah, um, that's a good point. There's that. Uh, in an interview with Dylan, he talked about mommy's friends in the mirror. Um, so investigators kind of took this to mean that Abby was having an affair and maybe Dylan saw something in the bedroom mirror. Um, and, Mm. and I mean, you know, he's a kid, like sometimes kids interpret things. It's how they process. They, they see things in a weird way. They invent imaginary friends. Uh, so this along with Paul's drug use became the primary motivation in uh, the belief that Paul murdered Abby. Uh, but her body was never found. And again, as I'd said, the amount of blood says she couldn't have survived that. But investigators cannot figure out how Paul could have disposed of Abby's body in such a short amount of time. Which also leads me back to, he called the police. He called the police knowing they were going to show up. If he had killed his wife and was intent on disposing of her body, that's kind of strange. Um, yeah, they they searched the apartment too, so I'm you know not super oh, worried. Good. I'm going to find the body in event. <laughs> At least yeah, it's a little Ted. Uh, so all this, I mean, is this is this what you remember? That's what the paper said. I mean, that that was kind of the official story. There's kind of an unofficial part of the story that I actually heard kind of a- after the fact. Um, and that was when Paul dropped Dylan off at oh, Jan's. Wait, so so Jan was the neighbor that he dropped off Dylan to? That's that's what I remember. I, I remember well because because of what Jan told me. So kind of fast forwarding when when Paul was being picked up by the cops, he kept talking about how his wife was in danger. But when Paul dropped Dylan off at Jan's, he was his concern wasn't so much for Abby's safety as it was for Dylan's safety. He was kind of talking about being concerned that Abby was going to try to hurt Dylan, that she was seeing things, that she was out of control, um, which isn't quite the same thing as her being in danger. So there was just kind of a little bit of a discrepancy there that I found out a little bit after the fact. Okay, so when did this all come out? Because there is nothing in the court transcripts or or police reports about this. Are we sure? How do I say this nicely? Are we sure that's not Jan embellishing a little? To kind of put herself in it? First of all, again, everything that I... I mean, Jan, Jan was a busybody. Jan was a gossip. That's very clearly established. 
But again, everything that she said checked out. And again, she was never malicious in the things that she said in terms of like not spreading untrue rumors or anything like that. I'll also say this too. Um, sometimes the police and sometimes the media won't release things to the public because they don't want to like give all their information out so that if there, so that if there's like a false confession, they can have all, all the information about the crime and basically just sort of spout what they read in the media. So I don't know if she ever really came forward with it. Um, we just kind of talked about it. I think it was the last time I saw her. Um, cause you know, we fell out of touch. Not, not too long after that, but the last conversation I had with her, I remember her telling me about what Paul sort of was talking about when he, you would think she would come forward with it. She came forward with everything else. Yeah. And I, and I know she was pretty guilty about it. I have to say, I, I, I kind of agree with, with Jeremy. It doesn't seem from what we, we know of her and her willingness to talk about things. This doesn't seem like the kind of thing she would have kept on right. the DL. Or if not the police, then someone in the neighborhood. It's still, still a mystery. This case, um, in our next episode, uh, we're actually going to dive into the aftermath of this terrible night. And as I mentioned before, uh, a lot of conspiracy theories and urban legends. We're going to be discussing those um, that have popped up since the night of this horrific crime. So thank you all for joining us. Um, I, it was a bit graphic. Um, and I hope you all know we are sensitive about this crime. It was a terrible thing. Um, and we try to remember the people for being actually people. Um, but thank you for joining us on A Night in Question, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Visit us on Facebook at A Night in Question and sign up for our newsletter for previews of upcoming episodes and exclusive updates.